In Genesis chapter 25, two nations are born. Two nations come into being, the Edomites and the Israelites. The Edomites will be the descendants of Esau, who was the first twin born from Isaac and Rebekah. The Israelites will be the descendants of, I, of Jacob, who is the second born twin of Isaac and Rebekah. The Edomites will be in biblical prophecy referred to oftentimes as the enemies of God's people, the enemy of God's people. In fact, later on in scripture in the New Testament, Edom is referenced in relationship to Rome and, and there's this connection that is there between the, the ways of the Edomites and the Romans. They are two people born into the same family, coming from the same womb, yet separate. And this separation begins literally at birth. The, the things that, that separate them, that make them different, take place immediately at birth. They're separated by their physical appearance. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 25 and verse 25 that Esau was hairy. We assume then thus that Jacob is not, that this was a description of Esau. They're separated by their temperament. Genesis 25 and verse 27 speaks of, of, of Esau being a man of the field and, 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 and wild, and Jacob was a quiet man who enjoyed being at home and to himself. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 25 and verse 28 that they are separated by the way that they are viewed by their parents. Esau is loved by Jacob or by Isaac, his father, and Jacob is loved by Rebekah, his mother. To us as parents, that, that, that is an angst within us, but the Bible doesn't really give any commentary on it, just states it as fact. They're separated, we see, uh, throughout the majority of, of history by region, by where they live. They will, they will separate Esau and Jacob will separate and they will never more come together again. They are separate in many ways. But the separation that, that is most significant to me and the one that I wanna look at today, we find in the story of the birthright. But before we go there, I want to, to, uh, to set up this story, to set up this lesson. I want us to... Remember our own upbringing, our own childhood upbringing, or maybe even the way that we are raising our own kids. And, and something that, that happened when we were kids and something our, our parents did or taught me, and I'm sure your parents taught you as well, and something that hopefully all of us are trying to teach our kids is to take the long view perspective on things in life. To, to, to not just look at things in the immediacy of things, but, but to rather have the long view. An example of this would be in regards to, to money. I know my parents try to teach me the value of money early, and I try to teach my kids the value of money. I don't know how many of you have been in Target. Target is one of our favorite star, stores, Target, as we've called it in our family. And uh, going to Target, if you go there to Target, as you walk into the store, you're barely a few paces in, and what do you encounter? You encounter the the discount section, right? Those one and two dollar things. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And so when I go there with my boys, I don't know if they do this with Christina, but when I go there with my boys, we're, we're barely uh, just a few paces into the store and my boys are already asking me, can we get that? Can we get that? There's little toys and trinkets and also they have some sports items there, which the boys always wanna, wanna gather as well. Can we get that? And, and I can testify that I have never caved in at that first discount section. 
I should probably cave in there rather than caving in later in the store where things get more expensive. But, but I've never caved in. And one of the reasons why I've never caved in is because I look at those things and I know from experience of myself and also with my kids, I know that, that within a day or two, those things are going to be broken or lost or just amongst the myriad of other things. And so without fail, they ask. And without fail, I say, no, we're not going to waste our money on those things. The boys then, without fail, usually then say, well, we have our own money. Can we buy it with, with our money? And I don't know if this is good or bad parenting. Maybe it's bad, but I always tell them, no, I'm not gonna let you spend your money on it either. And when they ask me why, I explain to them. I say, because it's gonna be junk in just a matter of days. And because I want you to understand that we don't need to always buy the first thing we see. We need, it's better to save your money. I always tell them, why don't you guys save your money? Let's take the long view, save your money. When you're, if you learn to save now, you'll be happier when you are older, right? Can all of us testify that's a true statement? I mean, we may be happier in the moment when we buy something immediate, but most, any of us that have had debt in our lives or not have money to pay for something, we all think to ourselves, man, I wish I had not bought, right? A, B, or C, and kept that money for at this point in time. And so we try to teach our kids these things. We, we understand as parents, we understand the value of looking beyond the immediate to the larger purview, the long view of things. And we realize that out on the horizon, there is, there is something to be gained if we look at life in that manner. In many situations, we're not being bad parents, we're not being mean. We just understand this. We understand this long range view. This, I believe, is one of the greatest uh, differences that separated Esau and Jacob, and we see this in the story of the birthright. So if you haven't done so already, please turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 25. Feel free to pull out your smartphones and your tablets and, and pull those up. Don't get distracted by Facebook in the process, unless, of course, you're sending a message on Facebook telling people that they shouldn't have missed such a wonderful sermon and they need to be here next week when we talk about Jacob again. But otherwise, do not get distracted by, by anything, but, but there, uh, open your, the, your Bibles. There's also Bibles in the pew rack in front of you. And while you're doing that, I want to make a comment about uh, Jacob and about the life of Jacob. Um, if you come to the story of Jacob, similar with many of the Bible characters. But if you come to the story of Jacob expecting to, to, to see a, a perfect hero, after all, he became Israel, the father of God's people. If, if, you, if you come to, to Jacob with that expectation, you will be sorely disappointed. You'll be sorely disappointed. Because what we see in the life of Jacob is not a perfect hero, but rather a real-life flawed individual, just like many of the other characters of the Bible. In fact, I would say in some ways, Jacob seems even more flawed to me. And the reason for this is because where Abraham made his mistakes, there was also moments of great faith. What I see within the life of Jacob is even in his moments when he's trying to do right, he does some things that seem a little bit underhanded. He's trying to do the right thing, but they seem a little bit underhanded. Even this story of the birthright seems a little shady in its own right. Or, of course, we know the story that we'll look at in a few weeks of getting the blessing from his father. The narrative of the Bible, as it always does, does not try to hide that sometimes Jacob goes about things with the right intentions, but in the wrong way. Jacob is not perfect hero. He is simply a real person. So if we read the story of Jacob, as we go through the Bible, and as we read the story of Jacob, 
if we read it with that in mind, that he's just like you and I, rather than being judgmental upon his flaws, maybe rather than finding him a flawed character, we'll find him relatable because we all ourselves are flawed in our own way. We have our starts and stops and excursions on our journey to the Lord, just as Jacob does. And we see that in the life of Jacob. His sometimes fitful and perfect stops and starts towards a perfected faith in Jesus. There's a mixture of motives that we see there. But with that in mind, what, what is great about the story of Jacob is that, is that while Jacob's story can be somewhat scandalous at points because of the way he acts and the decisions that he makes, it, it reminds us also of the scandalous grace of God. And God's grace is truly a scandal. And I say that in this sense. God's grace is such that, that, that nine out of 10 times what God chooses to, where God chooses to extend grace, we would never do so. It would probably go against our own choosing and our own will. But God chooses to extend that grace. And so Jacob is a reminder, a picture of God's continuous extension of grace. So let's begin the journey of Jacob. We'll be looking at Jacob over the next, uh, uh, at various times over the next several weeks. Genesis chapter 25, beginning in verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. This was Jacob's response. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Today, I want to talk to you about the long view versus the temporal view. Embracing immediate pleasure versus looking at the impact that embracing that may potentially have on our long-term spiritual health. The Bible tells us that Esau has an immediate desire. What is his desire? What does he want in this story? He wants food. He's hungry. He has an immediate desire to eat. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us, but, but, and we don't, so we don't know, but, but potentially, I imagine, Jacob might be hungry as well. After all, he's the one that is making the stew. So maybe Jacob was hungry as well. But, but the Bible shares with us that Esau is, but the narrative shares Esau's desire in order to set up the spiritual separation between these two brothers. Let me eat some of that red stew, Esau says, because I am exhausted. I am exhausted. I need this. I am exhausted. That is an expression of immediacy. I need something to eat right now. Have any of you had those moments in front of a refrigerator? You don't know what you're looking for. You don't know what's in there. All you know is open up the fridge. I need something right now, right? Have you had those moments? And what do we do? We open it up and sometimes there's nothing in there that we like at all. And yet we still will eat something because we just think we need something right then and there, even if we don't like it, or even if it's not to our, to our desire. We're kind of like cookie monster, you know, from Sesame Street, more cookies, give me more cookies. You know I mean? That's like his, his big thing. We're like that before the fridge. And that's how Esau is. Jacob, though, though he may also possibly be hungry, he seizes on this moment. He, he seizes on this opportunity. He says, sell me your birthright now. 
Esau is concerned with the immediate of things, the, the immediacy of the moment. Jacob's response shows us that, that, that he has obviously considered the significance of the birthright, and this is his moment to take it. He's obviously thought about, about the importance of the birthright, and now that he sees an opportunity, he says, you know what, I may be hungry too, but I see an opportunity for the longer blessing. Now, what was the significance of that birthright? The birthright, as we see in Esau's reply, did not have an immediate value, at least in his perspective. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is the birthright to me? This is, this is ladies, you may be familiar with this. This is typical male drama. This is me when I have a cold, right? Oh, I have the worst cold. I'm going to die. Every year I have the worst cold that is going to kill me. I have a worse cold every year. With every age, every year I, I get older, I get a worse cold. My wife says, you'll be just fine. And I'll say, no, this is the worst. I know I've had colds before, but this is the worst one ever. This is, this is Esau. I, I, I mean, what use is this to me? I'm gonna die if I don't get this stew. Please, this is male drama. But Esau's reply implies to us also Esau's reply implies to us that the birthright did not have immediate material blessing. It did not have an immediate material blessing. In fact, the last sentence that Esau states in, the, in the, this section, this pericope of the Bible, is thus Esau despised his birthright. Now, I was, I was studying this, and as I was studying this, always in my mind when I've read that text, what I've thought this meant was that that later on in life, Esau looked back and he realized that he had sold his birthright for of no value or he had given it away for such a, a cheap sum and now he despises it because he's angry with himself. But as I was studying this week, that, that word in the Hebrew that, 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 that we translate as despised means to count something as worthless. The Bible is saying that, that he, he gave it up he said, what good is it to me? It has no immediate value to me. And then the Bible says he despised it. In other words, he counted this birthright as worthless. Not just in that immediate context, but in the long view as well. In fact, the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, refers to this act of Esau as unholy, as an unholy act. Hebrews 12, verse 16. It's not simply that, that he gave it away, but, but, what, but what is unholy about what Esau did is that, is that he sees it as of no value. Why? Because the primary value of the birthright was not in the immediate material gain, although there was eventually material gain, but the spiritual significance of the birthright in the long view. Esau looked at the, the birthright in the purview of the immediacy of things. And he said, this is of no value to me. This has no meaning to me. He deemed it worthless. He didn't care that one day it would have spiritual significance. He didn't care that one day it would, it would bless him in a spiritual way. All he cared about was what is important in the moment. Jacob, on the other hand, saw the birthright and took the long view. 
Somewhere in his heart, he had that desire, that, that desire for a spiritual connection with God. He had that desire to be the spiritual leader of his family. He didn't just care about the wealth, but rather he desired the spiritual significance that came with it. The greatest separation between these two brothers as I study this story is not that one is hairy and one is not hairy. It's not that one seems to be more red-skinned and one doesn't. It's not that, that a mother loves one and a father loves the other. It's not that one likes to be kind of a crazy wild person and the other one is quiet. The greatest separation between these two brothers and the separation that is of most significance as we study the story is the way they viewed spiritual things. Jacob looked at things from the long view and Esau looked at things in what could be the immediate gratification. Jacob said, how will this affect my relationship spiritually? And Esau said, what will bring me pleasure in the here and now? When we think about this story, we can just think about that within our own context and we can say, okay, I see that and move on. But, but we, wanna, we wanna apply this to our lives as well. And the best way to apply this is to ask this question. Where are you and where am I? Where are we as a people in regards to how we look at things in life? I'm a big believer in, in the reality that, that pretty much every decision we make affects our spiritual life. I, I don't really see, especially on the, on the, I mean, if you turn left, okay, or if you turn right, that's not what I'm talking about. You know, there are, uh, someone came up to me last week and said, now, pastor, you have to be careful when you're talking about spirituality, you know, because some people, I, I have a friend that prays at every stoplight, and if God tells him to go right, he goes right, and if God tells him to go left, he goes left, and he ends up going all over the place. Um, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about, though, the individuals that, I'm talking about individuals that, 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 as, as we make decisions in our life, as we look at these decisions in our life, are we looking at them just about how they affect the immediate or are we taking the long view? And I believe more decisions than we realize affect our spiritual relationship with God. And so the question to us is, where are we? Do we tend to look at things more in the immediate context of how is this gonna make me feel? How is this gonna make my children feel? How is this gonna make my spouse feel? Or do we tend to look at things in the long view? I think of things, I began to think of some examples, and I think of things like Sabbath keeping. And, and I know some families, I know friends of mine that allow their kids, they're still Adventists, they go to church on Sabbath, but they allow their kids to play uh, sports on Sabbath. And we're not gonna get into the debate of right or wrong on that right now, but, but, but there is a long view of this. There is a long view of this. I, I have friends that will miss church for an entire season, say all of fall, because their kids have soccer. Or they'll miss all of spring church because their kids have baseball, or they'll miss the winter because their kids have, have swimming. Putting aside the rights and wrongs of Sabbath keeping, because this could actually apply to both Saturday and Sunday, because there's people that do the same in Sunday churches. But the, but the situation is such that temporally, 
The parents are saying, you know what? My kids are having fun. They're happy. We're having fun. We're happy. As I've come to discover, uh, sports is as much about the parents sometimes as it is about the kids. In fact, we probably take it sometimes more seriously than, uh, than our kids do. I remember when my dad used to get upset and I'd be like, dad, calm down, relax. And uh, now my son's like, dad, calm down, relax. You know, I'll do better, dad, if you don't yell at me. Okay, okay, sorry, sorry. But this long view versus temporal view. So, so forgetting the right and wrong of it, what is the long view versus the temporal view? Subtly, what parents are teaching their kids when they allow this to happen, when they allow this to go on, or when they make these decisions like this, suddenly, su- subtly maybe what they are teaching their kids is that it is okay to put the things of God aside in order to satisfy some other task or pleasure that is at hand. Not even about the right or wrong. Just, just, you know what, we have church this week, but we can't go because we have a game. What does that tell our kids? The game comes before God, right? These kids grow up. They, they, they start to do other things with their life. They don't dislike church. They don't like church. They're, they're kind of indifferent. And their parents go, man, I wish that they liked church more. And they say, why don't you go to church more? And the kids say, well, because I have something else to do. Well, where'd they learn that? That it's okay to have something else to do before the things of God. Make a temporal decision that has a long view impact. Has a long view impact. Something else maybe that more of us can relate to. Something that I can definitely relate to in my life. And and that's our diet. How we eat. How we live. Over the last probably five years I've not uh, been mindful of that. In fact my philosophy over the last five years until just recently has kind of been I see it, I want it, I eat it. Anyone relate? I see it, I want it, I eat it. So coming into January, I'm getting all these appointments as I'm getting ready for my surgery. I'm, getting, I'm having all these doctor's appointments. And every doctor I go to keeps telling me something. You need to lose weight. Your cholesterol is too high. You know, your, your, your heart rate is, is, is not good. You, uh, what? Uh, this, is not, this is not something I want to hear. And then the one doctor, you know, just puts it, you're 40 pounds overweight. You got to lose weight, man. Why don't you lose about 30 pounds? That's what my, one of my doctors told me. Well, why is that? Because I'm making a decision about my health in the temporal. I go home, I'm stressed. What do we do sometimes when we're stressed? Man, it feels good to just like have like a, some string cheese. I love string cheese. Anyone else in here? I'm gonna make you hungry. I better not talk about all the things I like to, I like to have. But we have these things and, and we've made temporal decisions that, that we may not realize it, but they affect us on the long view. One of the things I've realized recently is how much this was actually affecting me. Just recently, well, since March, I've been exercising a lot more. I've lost 16 pounds. Keep praying for me. I'm going to keep going but because uh, I'm running New York Marathon in November, so pray for that too. I haven't run a new marathon since 2009, and I was 150-some pounds then, so pray for me because I don't know how I'm going to do on a marathon at 100, and I'll just say 100 more than I was 150. Um, but, but, but what I noticed is I've been, as I've been getting back in shape and as I've been losing weight and as I've been getting healthier and I've been more mindful of what I eat and more mindful of what I drink, more mindful of what I put in my body, I've noticed something. My mind feels better and I'm sleeping better. And you know what happens when my mind feels better and I sleep better? I'm a nicer person to my wife. And you know what happens when I'm a nicer to my wife? My kids are happier and I'm a better dad. And when I'm a better husband and I'm a better dad, guess what else? I like all of you more too. (laughs) 
We make a temporal decision about the way we take care of our bodies, not realizing that it has a long-term spiritual effect on our homes, on our work, on our relationship with God. Just like God says, don't do this, don't do this. It's not because God's trying to be a pain or he's trying to be a bad parent. It's because God says, I see the big picture and I want you to see it too. The biggest difference between Esau and Jacob, the most significant difference was Esau saw something and he said, I want that, I wanted that immediately. Jacob looked at it and said, what's the larger picture and what's gonna be the more significant blessing down the road for me spiritually? Where are we at in our walks with the Lord? Where are we at in our decision-making, the things that we made? And, and you can go after many other things. We can talk about the way we handle money. We can talk about our tithing. We can talk about our leisure activities. We can talk about the things we watch and the, the things we put into our minds. And, and what you may discover, as I've discovered, that there are a lot of birthrights, so to speak, in my life in which I am making temporal choices that are negatively impacting me on the longer view, rather than looking at the big picture and saying, how is this going to affect me spiritually in the longer view, in the bigger picture? I wanna invite you to pull out your connection card at this time. On your connection card in the back there, it says my response today, and and I wanna just mention this because I'd like us to think about this as we go throughout this week. Um, Last week, I preached on, 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 our, our spirituality can be simple, just simple prayers, thanksgiving, and testifying of what God's done. And God had to remind me, as I told you the story at the beginning on Thursday night, hey, why don't you apply your own sermon to your own life, you know? That's probably a good idea for a preacher to apply his own sermon to his own life or her sermon to her own life. And, and, and so I want us to think about this this week and, and apply these things to our life. The first one there is just, I will memorize uh, Matthew chapter six, verses 19 through 21. I find that when I memorize scripture, it helps me to grow in my relationship with God. The Bible says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against thee. God gives us the word of God, not just for a casual read or devotional in the morning, but to, to implant it into our hearts and our minds so that it can strengthen us and grow us. Uh, Matthew chapter six, verses 19 through 21 is the text about store for yourselves treasures in heaven. And this is a text we need to be mindful of. It's not just talking about money there in that text, but rather what God is basically saying is don't take a temporal view of things, but look at things in the long view perspective. As one preacher used to say, the only thing you can take to heaven are, is your character and, your, and converts. So uh, make sure you got those two, two things right. The second thing is this week I'll reflect on the birthrights in my life. Am I being Jacob or Esau? This week I want you to go home and I want you to begin to think about the decisions that you make. Maybe slow down just a little bit if you can. I know that's hard for some of us, but slow down just a little bit if you can. And with every decision, maybe ask yourself the question, is this decision that I'm making now, while it may be the right one in this moment or feel like the right one in this moment, is it going to be a blessing in the long view for my walk with Jesus? This decision that I make now, will it be a blessing in my walk with Jesus? And, and, and I, as I said, I believe that, that we will discover there are more birthrights in our life than we realize. There are more things in our life that, than we will realize that we're taking the temporal view on. And if we step back and we take the longer view of and we see how they have a significant spiritual impact, if we change the way we look at those, not only would we probably be happier in the immediate, but we will definitely be happier in the long run and more blessed. So I wanna encourage you to do that. And then the last one that I want to 
in our, in our response there, is I'm grateful for the grace of God, which invites me to leave the Esau way and embrace the way of Jacob. And I want to close with a story from the Bible about this, though. In the book of Mark, also in the book of Matthew, but I'm referencing the, the, the story in the book of Mark, is a story of who we know as the rich young ruler. And probably the story is familiar to many of you, but the story is that Jesus is walking along and a young man who's referred to as a rich young ruler comes and meets with Jesus. And he says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him all the commandments and, and the young man says to him, all these things I have done since birth. And Jesus then says to this young man, what? He says, go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come and what? Follow me. Come and follow me. Now, is, teach, is Jesus teaching salvation by works or is something else going on there? I believe something else is going on there. Jesus understands that this young man has been looking at the world and looking at things from the temporal point of view. This young man is like, how can I get more money? How can I get more wealth? That's been his focus. Yes, he's obeying the rules, but, but, but here he's making a decision day in and day out about the immediacy of his comfort. And what Jesus is basically inviting him to do is to look at things from the big picture. He's saying, right now, this is your God, and I want you to see that this decision that you're making is, is affecting your relationship with me. He's not saying, I, I'm, I'm upset about you being rich or, or that you have money. He's saying, I want you to understand that this decision you're making in your life is impacting your relationship with me. And so I want you to look at it from a different perspective and come follow me, come follow me. Now, the decision that the rich young ruler makes, unfortunately, is the one that, that goes against what we would hope each one of us would make. He says, you know what? I can't give up looking at the world like that. I can't follow you. And he leaves Jesus. But the thing about the story that, that I want to relate to today is that when I look at my life, I see very many places where I've made poor decisions, where I've made decisions for the immediate, and it's negatively impacted me. It's negatively impacted Christina and my boys. It's negatively impacted sometimes the church as well. I look at, at decisions that I've made that have, that, have, that have been in the immediate, that have hurt my parents and, and, and other people that have been in my life. And in those moments, one of the things that can be done is that we can look at those things and all these decisions that we're making, that, that we've made bad decisions and say, man, I'm such a mess up. But what I love about the story of the rich young ruler is when the rich young ruler approached Jesus, Jesus knew who he was and he knew the way he was looking at the world. He knew the worldview and the way he was making decisions in his life. And the Bible tells us this. The Bible says that Jesus looked at him with what? Love, with compassion. And he said, come follow me. He didn't say, how dare you do the A, B, C, D. He didn't say, Look at this decision, that decision, this decision, that decision. He simply said, change your worldview, look at me, and come and follow me. When we look at our lives, we may realize that, man, we've made a lot of bad decisions when it comes to our birthrights. In that moment, rather than allowing the devil to get on you in that moment, I want you to remember that text, that the eyes of Jesus are looking at you with love, and he's saying to you and to me, you can change your way your direction. I give you that chance, I give you that opportunity. No condemnation, no judgment, simply an offering to each and every one of us. 
I hope that none of us will choose the way of the rich young ruler, but all of us will say, you know what? I've been making a temporal choice in this area. Thank you, Jesus, for looking at me with love and pointing that out to me. I wanna look at it from your perspective now, Jesus, from the eternal perspective, and watch how not only your immediate will actually be blessed by those decisions, but your long view will be blessed as well. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for the examples in scripture that teach us about what is most important. Jacob and Esau were separated in many ways, but really only one way mattered, the way they looked at eternity. Lord, as we make decisions in our life, may we make those decisions in light of the eternal value of our relationship with you. I thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. I thank you that you look upon us with love. In your name we pray, amen.